When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben, and we're here with uh, Noel, the Madman Brown. Mm-hmm. Madman is a good uh, madman. It's a variation, very close, but uh, but acceptable for a nickname for Noel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For now, uh, and it's only we're not calling him the Madman Brown because of any lingering uh, mental issues or anything. No, no, no. He's right as rain. Uh, it's just we we like to have a, a little bit of a fun time with the nicknames and the title of the show. What are we talking about today, Scott? Oh, this is pretty exciting. This is the Mad Max uh, Furry Road. Um, what, not Furry Road? No, it's it's Fury Road. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to redo all of my research for today, then. I was doing uh, Mad Max Furry, <laughs> Furry Road. Road. Yeah, and I found some really weird stuff online <laughs> while I was looking for this, and I was thinking, this can't be right. Well, you know, I'm not going to say that that is not also a film, because I don't know. We're a, we're a car show, and yet right. this was, like, all about conventions with people dressed up like raccoons oh, and crazy things, yeah. and, and all bizarre stuff was going on there. I mean, yeah. I read some uh, some really deep stuff. It, I could go on with my notes here, or we could uh, well, regroup. And well, you're a you're you're already a, a car aficionado, and uh, you know you know this stuff <laughs> you know this stuff pretty well. Uh, what if we what if we just go with Fury Road just oh, for this podcast? The movie, the film, yeah, the oh, movie. Well, that's completely different, and I guess we can talk <laughs> about that today. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Let's do that then. So today we're going to talk about the cars of Mad Max. Fury Road, yeah. and uh, and I guess we can describe some of the stuff that happened in previous Mad Max films, because it's a whole franchise at this point. Right. We'll keep it brief on that, because mm-hmm. there's some fantastic cars that are in this Fury Road uh, movie that is recent, very recent, Yeah. Uh, within the last month, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 15th, I think. Yeah, it kind of depends on when this podcast comes out, I guess, but yeah, sure. pretty recent. Um, I'll have to admit right up front, I haven't seen it yet. I was uh, I was out of town for a long time just after it was released, and I haven't been able to get to it yet, but I do plan to. You have seen it, right? Oh, yes. yes. And uh, and what do you think? I mean, just a general overall, how does it uh, stack up? Well, uh, on a 1 to 10, I would give this 
A 14. A solid 14. Wow. It is great, man. No spoilers, but the the bulk of the movie is one long car chase through the desert with these strange um, homemade, cobbled together Frankenstein monster kind of cars. And as we're going to find in today's episode, these are not... Um, these are not as Hollywood as a lot of other cars. We've talked about it before where, wherein, you know, you'll have something like, not a Batmobile, but for the sake of argument, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And really all it has inside of it is a little V6 to just keep it moving so mm-hmm. it can drive on and off set. Sure. And it can't actually do stunts. These things are the real deal, Scott. And I didn't believe it when I was first watching the the film. And I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it. But what we are going to talk about today are going to be the cars of Mad Max because they're as much uh, – each one is as much a character as, you know, Mad Max or the other ones. And that's kind of always been the case, right, with uh, going back to the very first one. Oh, very much so. And you know what? The, the difference between this film and the previous films is that uh, this one is, is – Really, like you said, it's just a chase. It's like a it's like a one long chase scene from the very beginning to the very end, mm-hmm. all the way across the desert, like a caravan trying to make its way, and other people trying to disrupt that caravan. Right. We'll, we'll get to that one at the end of this uh, this list here, but I can give you just like some quick summaries or some uh, some synopsis, I guess, mm-hmm. of the Mad Max films, if you'd like, just so yeah. you understand where we're coming from. And if you haven't seen, um, you know, the, the entire Mad Max series. It's, I guess it's worthwhile to check into it. I, I have seen these, you know, in the past, like when I was much, much younger. Yeah. I think the last one I saw, of course, was, uh, was Beyond Thunderdome back in 1985. Now that's a long time ago. You know, that's, well, that's, is that 30 years now? Come on, man. Don't say that. Is that, is that 30 years? <laughs> it is it, 30 years. 30 Scott. years ago. All right. So I was watching some, uh, some previews and trailers, things mm-hmm. like that from 1985 on YouTube currently, like today or even, you know, yesterday, the week before, whatever. And, uh, I gotta say, some of the copies that I've seen, you know, don't really stand up because they're probably VHS copies that were then converted to DVD, oh, which were yeah. then converted to some electronic form that they could put online. And uh, they don't look quite as, as great as they did or as I remember them on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going all the way back to 1979, uh, we started with the Mad Max uh, film, I guess, the very first film. It's right. an Australian film. And... Um, all right, I guess uh, this is the, the way IMDb describes it. Maybe that's the way we'll do it because we'll keep it concise. Sure. It says, in a self-destructing world, a vengeful Australian policeman sets out to stop a violent motorcycle gang. Um, so, really, this is about the breakdown of society. I mean, it's a, it's, um, it's a murderous, vengeous, uh, vengeful um, society that this guy is in. His name is Max. Right. And uh, um, he just becomes a cold-hearted, uh, well, killer, I guess. Yeah, well, he is, at this time, uh, he's one of the last sort of lawmen around because it the the story is about society breaking down and the rule of law sort of deteriorating but he is what's called a main force patrol officer so they're they're kind of like the last of the police mm-hmm. and of course everything goes horribly wrong for him of course right? of course and yeah. he kind of he kind of throughout this one he loses his humanity He's, exactly he becomes less and less human mm-hmm. so uh on to 1981 when they came out with mad max 2 the road warrior and i'll just read this again yeah. in in the post-apocalyptic australian wasteland a cynical drifter agrees to help a small gasoline rich community escape a band of bandits now that's important 
the gasoline-rich part because they had the fuel that the bandits needed in order to make their machines still run and operate. Mm-hmm. That became their uh, their valuable commodity that they had that these bandits were after, and it, of course, made uh, four good action scenes. You know, they're trying to steal their most valuable commodity. Right, and at this point in the, the universe, I guess, of Mad Max, the social situation is further deteriorating and it's getting to the point where very few places are capable of creating fuel, you know? Sure. So we see the uh, the desperation, uncertainty that was already there in the first Mad Max just get worse. Things keep getting worse, right? Yeah, so it's this band of settlers, I guess, is the way you can describe it, sure, I suppose. Yeah. And, and later in this film, towards the end, Max is kind of shown to... Like rediscovers humanity a bit. He's maybe not as uh, as hardened as he was in the in the past. You know, like in the in the other films. And I guess in the very beginning of Mad Max Part Two, they also give you a little backstory about what happened in Part One, which is yes. nice. All right. Yeah. So then, uh, 1985, just four years later, they came out with Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and this is a <laughs> where a former Australian policeman, okay, that's Max again, yeah. is rescued by a tribe of children when he's banished from the desert town and sent into the desert to die by the desert's evil. Well, that's a lot of desert. Yeah. Uh, by the desert's town, uh, the desert town's evil queen. Uh, so this evil queen, and what was her name again? Fur- is it Furiosa? Is that her, no, no, her name? It, oh, uh, or am I thinking of the current one? Maybe? Yeah, that's yeah, it. that's the current one. That's it's the current an- one. Uh, Auntie Entity. Ah, that's it. Okay. Auntie Entity. Auntie Entity. Auntie Entity. Okay. Uh, this is this is interesting. So it's, it's like a it's an evil town. Um, that was ruled by Tina Turner. Now, this is that's strange. Yeah. I mean, to think about it now, when you look back at, you know, Tina Turner's Entity career. is played by Tina Turner. Yeah, weird, yeah. huh? All right. And uh, Max is now a gladiator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the is, Thunderdome. This is so straight In the Thunderdome. So he's a gladiator in the Thunderdome. Two and, men enter. And then One he's, man leaves. Uh, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, the chant. And then... And then he is, uh, he's banished from this, uh, from this, um, I guess, what do they call it? The, uh, the Citadel, is it? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Um, where he was later recovered by these desert orphans. And, um, I don't know. Geez, what, what more could you ask for in a film really? Like right. Nothing, I mean, not, nothing. No. <laughs> Literally nothing. Especially because those orphans are part of a cargo cult that worships, uh, a Boeing 747 that crashed. It's strange, right? isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's this a, it's great, and this now Thunderdome, Beyond Thunderdome, is one of the more divisive movies. A lot of people who enjoyed the first two Mad Max films did not care for this one, mm-hmm. and a lot of people who like this one didn't care for the other two, but that's that's the way the universe laid out. And now in, in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, we're starting to see uh, longer-lasting effects of this social breakdown but then we didn't see anything for, what, uh, 30 years? It's a 30-year break in the franchise. So so coming back, they come back really strong, I guess, with the story. And I'll tell you how strong, because this, this film is getting good reviews already. Um, the rotten, you know, the rotten tomato site. Yeah, That's yeah. where a lot of us go to get, you know, our information because sure. so many reviewers compile their information there that it, that it ends up being pretty accurate as and far as the way yeah. most people feel. And they do professional reviewers and they do, you know, like critics and they do, and they do audience reviews. And for the audience reviews, 90% like this film, which is very, very high for that site. Usually, uh, it's, usually it's much, much lower. Yeah, they grade tough. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, this is out of, oh, by the way, it's out of 270 reviews total. And the critics, uh, gave it a, you know, they have like a Rotten Tomatoes fresh rating right. on the, on the yeah, site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 98%. No way. Yeah, it does very, very well. So it's, uh, it's getting great reviews. And like you said, you enjoyed the film a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would love to go see it again right now. If it were not our job to do this show right now, 
I would try my best to talk you into hopping in the car with me and going to watch this show. I would love to do that. We should do that Let's right just now. Do but, that. but we have to do this show, so we're going to do that. Uh, and you know what? It's a fun one to talk about, though. And I, I, I desperately want to see this film because it looks like you know everything that you want to see in a uh, in an action adventure movie uh, all packed into just two hours, where it's oh, just yeah. it's just constant all the way oh, from start man. to finish. It's great. All of the trailers are just uh, nonstop adrenaline rush, you know that kind of thing. So, um, and I sound like I'm selling it, don't I? I sound like I'm trying to sell the film. I'm not in any way, but man, these cars are so cool. These all these vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the description of Mad Max Fury Road uh, again from IMDb. Just a, a quick synopsis. Mm-hmm. It says in a stark desert landscape where humanity is broken. Two rebels just might be able to restore order. Max, a man of action in few words, and Furiosa, a woman of action who is looking to make it back to her childhood homeland. Okay, so what's going on here is the the apocalypse survivors, uh, or some of them anyways, are enslaved in the Citadel. And Furiosa, who is a, a warrior that's uh, that's played by Charlize Theron, I believe, uh-huh. um, she leads uh, some of the tyrant, well, the tyrant uh, ruler there, has five wives, and he, she leads, or more than five, I think, but she takes five of them uh, to uh, the, hopefully taking them to escape, you know, to uh, to right. a, a secure place, with, along with Max. She she's a friend of Max. They've uh, they've formed kind of an alliance. Yeah, they're and, not initially friends. No, no, not yeah, yeah not initially. Uh, but for you know, use in this mission, I guess she uses this crazy big rig truck like a, a a big rig truck i don't think even think that's a great way to describe it we'll get to that vehicle yeah. but it's called the war rig and the war rig they they try to outrun uh you know the uh i guess the warlord and and all of his henchmen yeah across the, guy, the desert the guy's named immortan joe he's a cult leader he has these people called the war boys who all look like you remember that movie powder yes they all look like the main guy in powder oh no <laughs> you know very pale yeah, careless that's pretty creepy and uh they you know they worship him it's part of a cult and then because furios is taking these Brides. I don't know if you can still call them brides if it's non-consensual, but because she's taking them across the desert to wherever this place is, then uh, they start to follow her to try to grab her. At this point, I should go ahead and say, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen this movie yet and you do not like spoilers, anything after this point is going to count as a spoiler because we're going to be talking about the most amazing thing in this film. In this movie, the cars, right? Yes, so many cars. I mean, I've read several articles here, you know, from the guy who created them, about the cars themselves, you know, the previous vehicles that were used in, you know, the Mad Max series all the way from 1979 to 1985. Uh, But this guy that created this latest round of of vehicles, his name is Colin Gibson. Mm -hmm. And Colin Gibson was the designer, the guy that uh, said... And I don't know if he's working all alone. I'm sure that there are other people collaborating with him, but he's sure. the guy, like the front man. He's the head. Yeah, yeah, he's the head guy. The one that was, you know, if the cars didn't show up, it was his responsibility. So we'll <laughs> right. we'll give him the credit, I guess, in this case. And he did an interview with Jalopnik that I read, and um, he's talked elsewhere. I've seen him in other interviews and yeah. other other news sources. He's in Bloomberg and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I know that Car and Driver mentions him a few times here, uh, but we're going to go through, uh, you know, 10 cars that Car and Driver singled out. Also, We'll talk a little bit about this interview because it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's funny. I mean, he's pretty bold about what he says here to his his crew, and it's it's kind of I'm sure it's tongue in cheek. He says sure. the way he said that I I, I told um or the director what what George Miller the director told Colin Gibson, and he said, "Make it cool or I'll kill you." Now that's a strong statement from a director to a guy that's just creating the vehicles for the not just but creating right. the vehicles for a show like this. Well, 
we don't know how intense George Miller may be. He was a doc- he is a doctor though before he became full time filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, so he's he not gonna he's not gonna kill him. I mean, he's just saying like, you know what? I want this to be over the top. I want it to right. be. Look at the previous Mad Max movies and the vehicles they used, and that was always the standout. They were they were incredible vehicles and exactly what you would expect a a um a kind of not forbidden society, but a um a leftover society right. that is just living on the scraps of what's left of humanity. Yeah, to put together. In order to function in the desert. And especially, yeah, especially since we see how from the very first Mad Max, things have increasingly deteriorated. Yeah. And, you know, another point is that because, you know, we're getting farther and farther away from where this apocalypse supposedly happened, mm-hmm. things are becoming more and more scarce. Yes, and, exactly. And so it's interesting to see that this is the most outrageous group of vehicles of the bunch. Now, that makes sense in that, you know, the, the chronology, of course, we're not going to go back and make them worse looking, I guess, than the 1979 cars. Or anything. Right, right. However, I find that the uh, the fleet of vehicles that I'm looking at here, incredibly impressive. Yes, incredibly impressive. They look like something that would be, um, oh, who's who's the uh, Harley Earl? They look like Har- if Harley Earl had a nightmare because he had been up too late eating weird food, designing maybe, cars. Maybe like if he was collaborating with Rob Zombie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, that's maybe a way yeah, to describe yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's not quite rat rod. It's it's more than that. it's it's, yeah. uh, it's beyond that. But yeah, yeah, it's but it has rat rod influences for sure. So Gibson, Colin Gibson, overall the number that I heard a lot, which might might not be totally correct, is that he ended up with. 88 final cars that were in production, but he actually made 150. Yes. Yes. That made 150 knowing that, uh, for some cars you're going to have, because of what was required of them in the script, uh, you're going to have to, uh, build three of them. You're going to have to build, you know, two, maybe two of this one. Sure. One for the close-ups, one for the stunts, et cetera. Yeah. yeah one, one just, uh, maybe as a parts car, maybe one that's going to, they know is going to be completely destroyed. You know, there's no yeah. chance for this one. So, so, um, in, at the end, I don't know if they destroyed all 150 or if they destroyed half of them. I've seen numbers that kind of are all over the place with mm-hmm. this, but I know they destroyed a bunch of these cars. And, you know, you can see that in the film. Oh, and that's, yeah. that's one quick thing that we probably should point out is that the stunts were done without CGI. Yes, the stunts are what are called practical effects. The yeah. vast majority of the stuff that happens here, counting the stuff with people, uh, will be a practical effect. And that means that... It is it is filmed uh, artfully or whatever, but it's actually happening. Now they did add stuff afterwards. They right? did add the background. Now I've seen some clips where it shows you the scene before and after. So they show you the stunt actually happening, and you can see you know the camera crew right in full view, uh, you know, because it's shot from behind the scenes, I guess. Right. And the background is uh, it's desert background, but it's not quite um, what you see in the film. The the right. cars, the action, the the people flying, all that stuff. That is that is real life. That's really happening. But you know, they may they may have laid out a, a cone or something like that to indicate yeah. where the charge was that was going to overturn the car. Uh, but in the in the film version, of course, they're going to paint that out, and they're also going to change the background to match where they would be in the film. Like if they were in, you know, a, a, a um, I guess a, a narrow uh, cavern pass right. or something. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, what am I thinking? A ravine of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, dried up lake bed, or whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, the background stuff was added, but the, but the stunts, this is, and this is important because, man, there's some crazy stunts in this. Just from what I was looking at in the trailers, um, you know, I haven't had the, the opportunity to see the whole film yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the stuff that I've just seen in the trailers is just insane. Well, the, it's, 
it's fascinating too when you see those clips of the pre CGI stunts because they're still very impressive. Now Gibson did say that they used uh, CGI or digital replicas of some of the vehicles for the wide shots or to serve as backups in case cars were damaged or destroyed. But he said it's more, he, he has this great quote, I think in Hollywood Reporter, where he said, it's more exciting when you actually achieve the impossible rather than photoshopping it, with which we completely agree. Scott, do you want to walk through these 10 cars? Yeah, let's do that. And this is, uh, again, this is just 10 of the multitude of cars yeah, that are yeah. out there. So this is these are the ones that Car and Driver picked. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to go through this. And I don't know if I have a, a number one favorite yet or not. Maybe as we talk this through, yeah. I'll, I'll choose one. I kind of got one that maybe I'm thinking is my favorite. But All right. uh, I would like to see the film before I make a decision. You do, do you have a favorite? You're a wise man. Um, I do, but I'm not going to mention it on air until we get to the end. Okay. All right. Cool. One, one quick hint. Is it in this list or is it not in this list? Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Probiotics aren't a trend anymore. They're a mainstay in the health and wellness aisle of your favorite store. And Nature's Way Women's Probiotic Pearls are the easiest way to introduce a probiotic into your routine. I mean, they're just what they sound like. Adorable little pearls that couldn't be easier to take. But they still pack that probiotic punch. Each tiny pearl has one billion active cultures and protect against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort. And they actually support both digestive and vaginal health, so that's a win-win. And according to my little fact sheet here, they're designed with a triple-layer coating that protects each pearl from stomach acid, so they can make it all the way to your small intestine where they're needed most. You probably didn't think we'd be talking about the small intestine today, did you? Well, digestive health is kind of important. If you know, you know. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com. It's in this list. It is in this list. I'm okay. sure it's in this list. Okay, all right, great. So let's uh, let's start with one that they call Plymouth Rock. Ah, uh, yes, Plymouth Rock. Okay, so this, from what originally people were guessing, but we've confirmed this is from the... The DNA of it is a 1937 Plymouth sedan. Mm. Now, you know what? Guess it, looking at it, 
I would have guessed initially if I had seen it from a distance, yeah. Volkswagen Beetle. Just because yeah, yeah. It, because of the shape it takes. Because this is the car that is covered with uh, with iron spikes. Right. Yes. Absolutely covered. I mean, there's not an inch that you could uh, you couldn't stand on this car without stepping on a spike. It's incredible. They look like they're two to three feet long. Right. And these are uh, these. This is the car of a Raider. That is, you know, that's meant to. You can tell if you look at, especially the front end and the wheels, that this is made to collide with their different things. Mm-hmm. Maybe bust some tires or hit some gas tanks that are side mounted. Sure, and nobody is going to be jumping on top of this car, as, right? As happens often in this franchise, because that's the other thing is that a lot of times you'll see in these chase scenes that these guys are on uh, poles. And it, you know what? Am I giving anything away right now? Am I saying this? Oh, uh, no, that's in the trailer. All right. Well, there, I think there's a vehicle coming up that actually has some yeah, of these, yeah, but yeah. Uh, there's some, some high strength uh, or high tensile steel poles that uh, some of these characters are, are using to bend back and forth and, and uh, kind of launch themselves onto other mm-hmm. vehicles. And yeah, this is one that you're not going to land on. And they really did that. No, it's uh, crazy. So the, um, the, the next one on this, which is, which is uh, great, but one of the less realistic ones to me, and I'll say why in a minute, mm-hmm. is uh, the Bigfoot. Yeah, okay. Now, this is uh, okay. This is one you probably have to have in the fleet. I mean, just because it's different, it makes it stand out, right? Sure. It's, a, it's a monster truck that is put underneath a 1939 or 1940 Fargo pickup truck, of all things. Mm-hmm. And Fargo, you know, I guess if you, uh, you want to think about it this way, it was mm-hmm. what – uh, a lot of Dodge trucks were called when they were sold sold in uh, countries like Canada or Turkey and even, of course, Australia. Ah, all right. Here's why I, I agree that it stands out in the fleet. But, Scott, here's why I think this is one of the more unrealistic vehicles. All of these vehicles are works of art. Mm-hmm. And Miller made a uh, Miller made a very big deal when he was speaking with anybody in production or the actors or the drivers Everything on these vehicles and on the in the costumes of the actors has to have a reason to be there. Mm-hmm. So uh, apparently, he would walk up to the actors and say, "Like, well, what's that? Why do you have that? What does that do?" What really, does that he's mean? put them to the test. Huh? Something like that. And uh, this the same goes for the vehicles. So I get I get this, but here's what's unrealistic to me about it, Scott. This thing has 66 inch tall uh, tires, right? Goodyear tires. Four feet suspension, um, but but four feet of suspension travel. So this right. is going to be a truck that's jumping like a monster truck would be jumping. Right, exactly. Except those tires. How could you keep those tires in that condition? They're huge vulnerability. Ah, uh, now okay, this is okay. Vulnerability for the vehicle. I understand that because of everything that's happening. Sure, but I've also seen arguments, and this is maybe getting just a little bit too realistic because okay. otherwise this whole thing wouldn't happen. Some people say that. You know, if they are scavenging the wasteland for parts and pieces to put these things together, how is it that they have tires at all? Wouldn't they be riding on uh, big solid chunks of rubber? Wouldn't they be using uh, rims to get around? Ah, uh, yeah. Wouldn't it? You know, wouldn't it be? Um, you know, you know the the case that all rubber things, you know, even engine components We're and everything, out. Yeah. completely deteriorated as mm-hmm. as it really would be. But then again, you gotta you gotta spend just that little bit of belief in order to allow these things to to behave the way that they do. I mean, otherwise. You're not going to have a film like this if you have if you don't have pneumatic tires, right? And maybe enough time hasn't passed to render all those tires. Familiar. Oh, maybe I don't know. I mean, it seems like 
tire, I mean, geez, my tires dry rot quickly in the garage, you know, I mean, it, it, and out in the, uh, the Australian wasteland, you know, this apocalyptic <laughs> wasteland, you would think they would deteriorate in, you know, a matter of weeks. Yes. You would yeah. think. But, you know, again, again, this is just one little bit that, you know, people pick at and say, and eh, not necessarily that, that wouldn't necessarily happen that way. It just, it just wouldn't. But again, again, look at all this stuff. This is so crazy. I mean, we're, a lot of these cars are, are powered by supercharged V8s and, um, you know, they don't have any problem, you know, getting pieces and parts to keep those running. Uh-huh. Um, whereas, you know, like you and I, we have the internet. Sure. We can't, we can't keep our cars running sometimes because we can't find the right parts or, you know, I mean, okay, maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement, but I'm saying it's difficult enough to find the, the pieces and parts to keep your own car on the, on the, on the road today. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, to an extent, mm-hmm. but how are they doing it? <laughs> This Australian wasteland. I, I know I'm overstating this and maybe I'm overcomplicating it. But. No, no, I think that's a really good point because uh, we've seen in, in the real world, we've seen instances where people are forced by something or another, maybe the age of the vehicle or something even bigger, like when Cuba was under such international sanctioning, uh, they they ended up having the mechanics in Cuba. I mean, ended up creating some of their own parts. Great example. Look at uh, look at communist Russia. Yeah, uh, some of the cars that they were building, some of their own uh, engine, you know, rings for pistons and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, some of the incredible lengths that they have to go to to keep these things running. So maybe it's not that far fetched that they're able to do this. Maybe there are some machinists left in the uh, in the apocalypse. In the apocalypse uh, scarred world, right? Is, yeah. is that the, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, apocalypse, that's pretty strong, but it's more than scarred. Dystopian uh, wasteland. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's a good way. Dystopian wasteland. Uh, maybe there's enough machinists left that they're able to keep these things running. And well, I think that's what they're, they're counting on is yeah. that, that belief. Well, it has to be, there have to be, uh, several very, very intelligent people because they're fabricating these machines. Like if we move on to the next one, now Australian listeners, if you don't know about this one, you're going to enjoy it. And us listeners, if you haven't heard of this, don't don't beat yourself up because this is relatively obscure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a uh, this is called buggy number nine, and buggy number nine is uh, is basically a Corvette, but it's not really a Corvette. It's mm-hmm. an Australian kit car that looks like a Corvette that was placed on top of a truck chassis, right? Yes, yeah. um, a Holden one ton truck chassis, and so the, because the truck chassis was twenty two inches longer, um, the real Corvette wouldn't work out. So they used this. Um, I guess they use this kit car and lengthen that. Mm-hmm. It's got a, uh, is it a, I think it's a Ford engine that's sticking out of the hood. Yeah. Uh, with the exhaust pipes coming straight out from underneath the hood. Um, there's a gun on the top. There's, you know, a, a crazy windshield that's a two-piece design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really strange looking vehicle. It looks like an off-road Corvette, really. Right. And there's a great phrase here that the car and driver article uses, which is, uh, buggy number nine was created as sort of a last days of disco era vet running through misery while chewing on a fistful of meth. And that is apt. <laughs> By the way, I should mention that this one, as well as Bigfoot, both have uh, mounted harpoon guns. Oh, that's Harpoons. a harpoon gun. That's what. Yeah, those are uh, those are meant uh, usually when you see them in the film, the way that they attack is they shoot out and they have a chain attached or something like that. Oh man, I've got to see this film. You are gonna love I, it. I really do think I'm gonna love this film. All right, so uh, the next one is called Mac, and uh, Mac is just loaded. I mean, why are you laughing? It's it's loaded with stuff. There's there must be something hilarious about well, this it. Well, just car. it just lo- look at it. Well, man. I it just... guess so. Yeah, it's a, it's an old Mac truck, as you can imagine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the that's the basis of this. Um, and of course, it's an old Mac tow truck. Yeah. Well, yeah, and of course, it's a it's a big R series uh, Mac R series truck. 
Um, it's a, uh, I guess it's in a lot of the action in this film. I mean, it's, right. it's front and center because this one has an awful lot of gear. It has a lot of capacity to carry people, which is important mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. Um, it has all the battering rams that, you know, that it would necessarily and, need. And mount, mounted harpoons. I see the harpoons mm-hmm. on the front there. I can, I can clearly see those. It also is one of the vehicles that has these poles that I was talking mm-hmm. about. Now the yeah. poles are these high tensile strength steel poles. That, uh, that, that people, and these are real stuntmen that actually did this in the film. Mm-hmm. They climb to the top of those things. Like, you know, someone climbing to the top of the crow's nest in a pirate ship or something. Mm-hmm. Only the poles are, are bendable. They allow them to, um, to slingshot back and forth. Like distributing their weight. They yeah. swing back and forth. Terribly scary when you're going 70 miles an hour through the desert. So they could swing down atop a car, mm-hmm. for instance, another vehicle or a person. Yeah. However, they would not be able to, uh, swing down atop, uh, what was that first one? Plymouth Rock. Uh, yes. Yeah, which I love. You start to see the story or the ecosystem in which these vehicles exist when when you see, like, the way that they've adapted to one another, yeah. almost the way the animals would in the wild. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating aspect. And we're actually, we're going to go to one that I think is very interesting given our conversation about tires. But before we do... Uh, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You know, everybody has their own wellness routine, their own approach to a healthy lifestyle. A lot of the most successful ones include herbs like ginger root, ashwagandha, and so many others. Nature's Way has been sourcing herbs like those for over 50 years. They understand that nature is the ultimate problem solver. So they're dedicated to providing plant-powered formulas to help people live healthier lives. Their herbs can support your health in so many ways. For instance, ginger root and slippery elm bark have both been used for centuries all over the world. Ginger root has traditionally been used to soothe occasional digestive upset and slippery elm bark to soothe the GI tract. St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support, which is something we can all use in our modern life. I mean, these herbs come from all over the world, but Nature's Way knows where the best ones grow. They test for potency in their state-of-the-art lab, and their scientists are experts in all things herbs. What's on the label is what's in your bottle, and what's in your bottle are the best herbs around. To learn more, visit naturesway.com. And we're back. 
so Scott, this one I'm excited about, and I I feel for you not having seen the film yet, but man, we got to make a day of it. We got to go because we talked earlier about the problem of pneumatic tires in the desert in a in a post uh, a post industrial wasteland, mm-hmm. right? and this solves that problem. Uh, this is uh, one a vehicle called the the Peacemaker. And uh, this is so bizarre. This is so weird. This is really a cool, and you know what? This is one of the cooler looking cars to me. And I've got another little side note on this vehicle, if you don't mind, that we can talk about um, something else that I saw online. Oh, yeah. All right, so this is a um, kind of a a mixed match of of Australian muscle and, uh, um, I don't know, modern military equipment. I don't know how to to put it better than that. Uh, But this is the 1971 to 1978 Chrysler Valiant Charger. Um, which is sort of like the uh, the Ford XB Falcon over in Australia, and um, of course that's a prominent vehicle in Mad Max history, right? I mean the, uh-huh. the XB Falcon that was his original original vehicle. Um, but this is weird. This one is called the Peacemaker again, and it's sort of a um, it's it's like a a charger that's stretched over top of a U.S. military made or well actually U.S. made ripsaw light tank chassis. So, that, so it's a right. tank. It's a tank. It's a, it's a. They took the top off of a tank and put a car atop it. Yeah, and and not only that, it's a it's a ripsaw light tank chassis. Now, mm-hmm. do you know anything about the ripsaw light tank chassis? Tell me a little bit. Well, I watched a uh, an online video, a YouTube video uh, that was in another article. It was in the uh, actually it was in the Jalopnik article, and this is where I think listeners should go and check this out because it does have a clip of the uh, the ripsaw light tank chassis in action without the bodywork. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is more than impressive, I'll tell you. This this short clip, it's maybe two or three minutes long, and uh, again, doesn't have the bodywork on it yet. But it's just the uh, the tank chassis before it was shipped out to uh, where was it filmed? Africa, I think. Is that right? Yeah, it was filmed in uh, Australia and Namibia. Okay, so both. I think this particular vehicle went to Africa, if, I, okay. if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. But what you'll see is uh, you know a stunt driver, I guess, if, mm-hmm. or just a driver, factory driver, uh, with a helmet on in this chassis, this tank chassis. Just blasting around this, uh, this looks like a, um, uh, gravel yard, a gravel. Super high speed. Yeah, yeah, like maybe a gravel pit or something, you know, where they have piles of gravel. Very high speed and an incredible sounding V8 engine <laughs> that's mounted immediately behind the driver. So it sounds like the most amazing, uh, muscle car you've ever heard, really. It's really cool. You know, uh-huh. that, that, that just fantastic American V8 sound. But then you see this tank and this tank is just blisteringly quick. I mean, it's, it's fast and he's jumping. He's uh, he's you know doing the uh, the full rotations, um, high speed runs down the uh, you know down this this trail that goes to maybe supposedly a quarry or something like that. Right. It's really incredible. So if you go to the Jalopnik site and you search, uh, here's the title of the article. It's kind of long, but it's uh, it's called "How the Man Behind the Machines of Mad Max Put a Hellscape on Wheels." That's ah, the name yes. of it. And I think yeah. if you just search Mad Max, you'll find that article. Uh-huh. And then look at that clip within there. I don't again. I don't know what it's called, but. It's well worth three minutes of your time to look at that. And that's the uh, that's the same article where uh, where where Collins says he learns the name of the outfit is Jalopnik and says oh, I would have named a car that. <laughs> I talked to you guys. Earlier. Yeah, how, how cool would that be to have a car named after the the company that you? Well, had? there might be some sequels coming up, and, Scott. And uh, and Peacemaker is uh, is owned or is uh, operated, I guess, in the film by someone a character called the Bullet Farmer. Yes, the Bullet Farmer. Uh, that's there. There are a couple of antagonists, right? And they all work together. Immortan Joe is the guy who owns the Citadel that 
has access to water and people follow him with this cult uh, that he has a cult. Sure. The bullet farmer is a guy who has a bunch of ammunition. And I get, I imagine that he makes this somehow Sure. And, and he's got his crew. And then a guy called the people eater, the people eater, that's his name is by far the most disgusting character to me in the show, which is saying a lot if you've seen it, guys. Yeah. And uh, he is in charge of uh, gas. So they make gas and bullets, and then they have water. Cool. Now, in Morton Joe, uh, there's a there's a slight tie-in, I guess, with the original Mad Max That's film. Right. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. You, you said that that is the same actor that played Toe Cutter mm-hmm. in the first Mad Max film. Is that right? Yeah, Toe Cutter, one of the primary antagonists in that, uh, in that earlier film, the same actor came back to play Omorten Joe, the primary antagonist of this film. As far as I know, in the universe of Mad Max, they're not supposed to be the same person. They're not supposed to be related. Of course not, because right. uh, Toe Cutter met a uh, violent end. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. Alert. All right. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, but it's still kind of a shared universe. Neat tie-in. Our next thing up here is the FDK. Mm-hmm. Now, what does FDK stand for, Ben? Uh, you know... It's open to interpretation. <laughs> it's likely something dirty that we can't say on uh, on car stuff. On but, a family show, but yeah. uh, you know, you can leave that up to your own imagination. Sure, but sure. this has uh, this is basically a, uh, a Volkswagen Beetle mm-hmm. and uh, kind of the shell of one, I guess. But it doesn't look a whole lot like it uh, in the end here. No. Um, well, maybe, but it's V eight powered, which of course is incredibly cool. Of course, the whole thing is just kind of tack welded together. It throws flames. Yeah, uh, from, the, from the fuel that's uh, incorporated in these barrels that are integrated in the structure, the whole thing kind of looks like a big. Uh, it almost looks like a big engine to me. Yeah, the engine they they chopped the front half of the of the bug's body, and then they put in some um, molded like two two uh, molded rods, pretty much mm-hmm. with a little skull emblem, Immortan Joe's emblem, and and that's it. The rest of it is open, and this empty space is occupied by this gigantic engine. Now, I think that those, uh, yeah, it's a huge engine in the front, and, you know, of course, there's some extra stuff added on there, flames and things like that, and these pipes that you talk about, of course, for structure. However, when I see those barrels that kind of jut out from the side of the vehicle, overall, this vehicle, when you look at it in certain directions, to me, the entire vehicle looks like one big engine. And I think I'm being fooled by that. It almost looks like a, a motorcycle engine or something where the cylinders. That's a really good point. They look like cylinders. Yeah, like the cylinders that protrude from the sides. It's almost like it's like a big V8 engine, uh, but it's a Volkswagen Beetle that's buried underneath there. And again, a lot of these cars, they have crazy exhaust. And I think you have to climb in through the roof or through the windows to yeah, get into them. You yeah. can't, you can't uh, use the doors as you normally would. They're again, not, not exactly Bentleys. And a uh, twin wheel rear axle there. So it's, yeah, uh, it's just yeah. a duly designed Volkswagen Beetle. With a V8. Maybe it looks like even maybe a supercharger on top of that thing now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, you see it there. And uh, you see other vehicles that are supercharged superchargers. Yes. Which are yes. incredible. I mean, right. neat design. I, I love all of this stuff. It would be so much fun to just ride around in one of these because these are one of a kind somewhere between masterpieces and monsters, you know, They're maybe both. True hot rods. Yes, they, I mean they really are. They really work. If if you see a you know a vehicle that's powered by two V8s, it's got two V8s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely amazing. So here's the here's the war rig that we talked about. Uh, the next. monster of monsters, yeah. the Moby Dick of the wasteland. Yeah, and you know there's a. I'm going to kind of cross reference this with a couple of different articles here because I saw it described in different ways. I think one has a little bit more information. Maybe the um, the Jalopnik article has a bit more information on yeah. this one. 
Now, the Warrig is a, a huge six-wheel drive, Tatra semi-powered uh, by two supercharged V8s. Right. That's, that's amazing. Um, that, that is not only a tanker, but it also has um, other vehicles welded to it. Isn't that right? There's a Suburban yeah. on the back, I think. Is that right? Yeah, it has uh, it has a Volkswagen Beetle welded to the hull. Mm-hmm. Um and it had, and that's that's a place where people hang out to kind of keep a lookout on the back end of the war rig. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said the you said what else was on it? Well, I think I was wrong. I think I said suburban, but it's a 1940s Chevy Fleetmaster that's welded to the back of the cab. Oh, that's right. So yeah. I don't know where I got suburban from. Maybe that's somewhere else in this film. But um, <laughs> but this vehicle is is huge. It has so many extra things added on. It's so big that when they when they weld the Beetle chassis onto the or body rather onto the back. Um, that just kind of looks like uh, a cherry on top of the uh, of the overall Sunday here. That is this war rig. It's it's enormous. It's huge and it's covered with uh, battering rams. It looks like um, you know the old cow pushers on the front of um, yeah, the old exactly. locomotives yeah, yeah. has that. I mean, it's just the meanest looking semi you've ever seen. It almost looks like it has uh, snow tires, and of course those tires are guarded by spikes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of some kind. Uh, something designed to just tear up whatever comes it next. It has extra fuel pod attached to the back, kind of like a, a small trailer to haul. Uh, this this beast itself, and I do use the word beast, is so unique as to almost be its own living thing. It has skulls, of course, real human skulls, mm-hmm. in the front uh, for their raids or their runs to Gastown and stuff. It has a full complement of weaponry. This is clearly th- when I when I saw this, it reminded me a lot of the way that naval forces will have a, a carrier group, mm-hmm. you know, because you never see an aircraft carrier by itself. It's surrounded by smaller, more uh, flexible or specialized yeah. vehicles, more nimble vehicles, nimble, uh, nimble in that they can uh, make faster turns. They can get back to, uh, you know, kind of cover their flanks faster right. than, uh, than the aircraft carrier itself could. Uh, the same way the war rig can't make uh, make quick turns, can't really defend itself quite as well without the surrounding group of uh, or armada of vehicles, I guess. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating. The scenes. There's a couple of scenes in the trailers that I've seen that uh, mm-hmm. that are exactly that. Ben, that it looks like uh, they're the, the protective layer around this thing as it just continues to just steam across the desert. Yeah, because despite the fact that it's powerful, it's more of a transportation vehicle than mm-hmm. it is an offensive one. But speaking of the kind of nimble vehicles that would orbit around this thing let's move on to the nux car and this one has a little bit of controversy behind it right because you'll hear people describe it as one of two things you'll hear it described as a 32 ford five window deuce uh, or you'll hear it described as a 33 or 34 five window chevy coupe Mm mm-hmm so we we want to bust the myth here. As far as we can tell, it's a Chevy. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, Colin Gibson in the Jalopnik article says that, you know, in one of these quotes here, he says, um, out of his favorite vehicles, out of all of his favorite vehicles, yeah. he thinks this is his favorite. And he says that it's a, he, he says clearly here, he says it's a five-window deuce coupe with hand-beaten metal and a supercharged V8 with nitrous. It's the most comfortable of all the cars. It looks and, uh, the most comfortable. Well, I guess so. Like you said, it has glass, right? Yeah. It has right. glass, which is unusual for all these vehicles. Most of them don't. Um, it's uh, it's relatively clean looking. I mean, the exhaust pipes are mounted uh, past the door, so you can't get in through the doors. You have to go through the roof on this right. one. Right. Uh, but it's got those poles all over it. I mean, it's loaded with those things. 
Um, but those aren't necessarily the ones that they use to swing back and forth with, I think. That's just more decoration than anything, right? It almost looks like spears. Yeah, they look like spears. And uh, there's a cross mounted at the uh, the front of the vehicle, which is used to tie characters up to. I don't know <laughs> yes. if we should even say that or not, but maybe. Uh, we, we warned about spoilers, right? That there's, right. A, uh, there's a point where... One of the characters in this film is tied to the front, uh, almost like it's, you know, crucifixion almost, like on the, right. on the front. Right. And there's um, a reason for that, but we won't go into Yeah, it. so there's a little platform out in the front, almost like a little swim platform, like it would be off the, uh, off the back of a boat or something. But, um, again, an off-road, um, five-window deuce coupe, which is uh, a really clean design. Again, a supercharged nitrous-powered or nitrous-injected right. V8 engine. What a vehicle. I mean, it, it can go in reverse at super fast speeds. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's like its superpowers, uh, the yeah. reverse uh, um, high speed gear. Uh huh. All right, cool. So that's a, that's an interesting car. And again, that's, uh, you know, the guy, one of the guys that worked on this, Colin, uh, well, what's his name? Colin Gibson, uh-huh. the designer. That's one of his favorite vehicles of the whole bunch. This next one is crazy. This is one of, although it's not the largest vehicle, it's one of the most outre to me, like the strangest. Yeah, and it was described as a uh, as a throne, I guess, of sorts, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's, what we're talking about is the Giga Horse. Yeah, the Giga Horse. Now, this is totally bizarre. And this yeah. is one of the vehicles that I remember, seems like a year ago, when we saw kind of a, a sneak peek yeah. of what was going on behind the scenes. You know, like the uh, the behind-the-scenes photos of the, the, the vehicles arriving on the set. This was one of them, and people were just blown away when they saw it. It is a, um, I don't know, I don't know, maybe where do we even begin with this? But I, I guess the the best way I could begin, if I'm being candid, I thought about this a lot, Scott. I feel like I must be on drugs when I'm looking at pictures of this thing. You know, I felt the same way. It's almost like your eyes are deceiving you, and like it's, like, double it's, vision. it's like double vision. It's it's two 1959 Cadillac Coupe de Ville bodies that are. Uh, laid on top of one another. It's almost as if the uh, you know the the back end of one is coming out of the uh, well, the, I guess the, the yeah the back end of one is coming out of the back end of another one. Right. Yeah. Like if you could picture the '59 Coupe de Ville uh, a little right in front of where the back tires would ordinarily be, cut cut that Coupe de Ville. Just cut that part off. Sure. Take the tires off, and then take a second Coupe de Ville. Break the rear windshield and put that first one where the windshield was. Okay, and then not only that, you put it on top of a chassis that looks like a monster truck chassis, but yeah. it's even different than that because it's almost like, um, almost like uh, you know, like a, like a combine would be used on a uh, on a on a farm. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's got a dually rear axle that mm-hmm. uses enormous tires Huge. like that. They're they're tall and thin. There's Fun two tire. of them in the yeah, back, yeah, yeah. and then there's smaller ones in the front, so it gives it this extremely raked appearance. Um, mm-hmm. like maybe uh, thirty. A uh, thirty degree break, maybe something like that. That's crazy. It's it's almost forty five degrees. It's it's yeah. pretty intense. The front end of a caddy again, it's it's doubled up, but then it has uh you know those big scoops in the front, almost like the cow pusher type thing again, but mm-hmm. a little more aggressive than that. It's just more like um like fins almost. And then the engines. Okay, so the engines are are <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, two turbocharged V eight engines that are mounted alongside each other, and they go through one single drive shaft to the back end to the rear end. So it truly is these side-mounted uh, V8 engines, and I want to say I can't quite see in this picture here, but I feel like they're they're supercharged. Yeah, they have two functioning 871 superchargers. 871 superchargers. Uh, they're as you said, both can uh, connected through that custom gearbox, and the the main mechanic of the film was a guy named Mark McKinley, who was certainly earning his keep on that because he had to spend a lot of time, a lot of TLC with this baby. Uh, this thing is not only fully functional, 
but it generates 1,200 horsepower. Okay, 1,200 horsepower, and that is because it has you know, these two uh, these two engines. These are both 600 cubic inch engines, right? That are supercharged, that are that are on this thing, and they've got. Um, I think it says, and this is how they put it: 120 meters of garden hose irrigation. That means 120 meters of, of fuel line, really. Right. Yes. That, that's incredible. I mean, just to keep this thing going. Can you imagine having to keep this thing running? In the, um, I don't know if it was in Australia or if it was in Africa, but right. imagine keeping this thing running in the desert. I am having a tough time with it. Well, the, one other thing about this that is thematically interesting is that Miller, oh no, it was Colin Gibson who said that when he was envisioning this car, uh, he was he was thinking about the character and how can we communicate the character? Just like in Fast and Furious 7. In Furious 7, when the designer was thinking, how can we communicate the character through the vehicle? Right? Dennis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Dennis was talking about that. Uh, so this guy, Colin Gibson, said that what is more like Immortan Joe? You know, I'll just read the quote. He says, in a world where nobody had one of anything, it seemed like a fait accompli that Immortan Joe would have a pair of 1959 Coupe de Ville's. And I thought, yeah, because that does seem like such, um, such profoundly offensive decadence, right? And, and, and you haven't seen the movie, but just, I don't think it's a spoiler for you, Scott. Everything is terrible. Yeah, sure it is. And, and <laughs> yeah, everything is really, really terrible. And, and that's a great way to put it. I know I read that quote before because I think we, we, we hinted at that earlier on that, yeah. it, and that's exactly the way to put it, that in this apocalyptic world, there would be it would be difficult to find one of anything, but this guy's got two fifty nine caddies and he uses them in one vehicle and, and all and, the water. What and, is, he's a jerk. And man. again, this guy has got like uh, you know it's almost like this vehicle is a as he described it, as uh, as Colin described it. It's like a throne. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really is. I mean, it, it, it's uh, like the the rolling version of his throne. So uh, what a fantastic vehicle that is. Now, now I guess. No Mad Max movie would be complete without the Interceptor. Ah, yes, our final vehicle of this episode, the Interceptor. So this is a 1974 Ford XB Falcon. Mm-hmm. We mentioned that earlier in the podcast, I think, and it has been a it has been as important to the films as Mad Max himself. Yeah, definitely. Right, and uh, you know this thing is. Uh, I guess it's. Really, really beat up by this point. I mean, so it's looking pretty rough. Uh, you know, I know it was looking rough early on, but now it's even more so because it's supposedly it's aged, right? Um, and it's aged poorly, um, as it would have, I guess, in that type of environment. But, um, as he puts it, as Colin puts it, it was a, a legend spotted in the gutter, uh, <laughs> because, um, you know, they found it rusted through and rattling with too many repairs and, uh, too few original parts. But, you know, the supercharger that, uh, that they used in it, you know, in the last of the V8 interceptors. Yeah. Um, it, it was important that, uh, you know, this one for the Mad Max movie had it. So it definitely does again. And, uh, it, what a, a, an iconic car, I guess. It's an iconic movie car. Um, not necessarily one that a lot of people would find collectible, I think, because I've seen where the original, um, interceptor, the original Mad Max interceptor was on sale for a while, I believe. Yeah. And in some, I don't know where this was. I don't know if it's in Australia, like just in the classified somewhere. Once it was done with the promotional tours, mm-hmm. apparently this thing sat for quite a while. Nobody really wanted it. Nobody picked it up. No one at auction said, yeah, I'll pay whatever it was. Or, um, you know, maybe someone just owned it and kept it in the garage for a while, but sure. no one, no one was seeking, actively seeking that vehicle as they do, you know, like the original Batmobile or right. the, the original, well, if there is an original generally, general Lee. Yeah. 
one of the 18 original yeah, generals. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of them that are sold <laughs> as original. But, right. Um, you know, cars like that typically, um, you know, once they're done with their, their you know, movie production or sure. movie, yeah, production and promotion, uh, they go up for sale or as uh, Dennis told us that, you know, some of them are just destroyed because of liability reasons or um, right. held on to for parts or reshoots or whatever. But um, for whatever reason, this uh, this Interceptor, this uh, Mad Max Falcon, you know, 74 Ford XB Falcon um, doesn't necessarily garner that kind of attention. I would think that it would. It will now. I think it will. Because there are sequels planned and the Interceptor is so much a part of the story. There are some crazy fan theories, too, about this gap in time and the age of the Interceptor. And it's very interesting stuff. If you're a Mad Max fan and you have some time, like seriously have some time, at least a half an hour, start sifting through some of those fan theories, you're going to read some weird stuff. Scott, there's one vehicle that we must give an honorable mention to, although it was not on the list. Okay. Because otherwise, it? people are going to kill us. All right. We have to hear about that. So you've seen the trailers. I have. Where that guy is standing on that one thing playing guitar. Yes. I know what you're going to say because yes. I, I read a small paragraph about it. Yeah. The Doof Wagon. The Doof Wagon. This is, is the name of it. That, D-O-O-F. This is an interesting one because this is like um, – and, and the way that I saw it described by uh, the creator again, Colin – yeah. He said that um this is kind of like the uh the representation of, you know, like the old uh, the old drummer boy and the flute player. Right. You know, imagine like Civil War times, you know, that uh you know, but that's not going to do out in the desert when they've got, you know, 1200 horsepower machines charging across the desert. So they need yeah. something like the doof wagon. Yeah, it's a morale machine as they say. Uh this uh was originally going to be based on an MAZ 543 Uragan or Hurricane. Uh, which is a Soviet Belarusian 8x8 artillery truck. Okay, so they had to uh, modify a lot of the design. It has a supercharged V8 engine with a mobile stage, wall of speakers, subwoofers, air conditioning ducts. It's like a rolling concert hall, and they have this guy who is attached to it by bungee cords, him and his guitar. And he's just like bungees around playing music. Him and his guitar. So he, they're charging across the desert at who knows what speed, supposedly 100 miles an hour, whatever it is. And this guy's playing the guitar atop a, uh, a military vehicle that's just loaded with speakers. I mean, the speakers um, is a huge part of this whole vehicle. I mean, it's, right. a, it's enormous. Um, think about a truck. Um, a semi-truck trailer that is bent into almost an S configuration yeah. on both sides. Yeah. And at the end are these enormous speakers that blast out right next to him. And not only that, his guitar is a flamethrower. Yes, his guitar does uh, have the ability to emit flame. Oh, uh, let me correct myself there. That that initial design was the Soviet Belarusian thing. This is a man LKW uh, Cat 1A1, still an 8x8 truck. It's got a 15-ton uh, class vehicle modified with a wider track of 2,900 millimeters. And uh, in real life, this thing serves as a carrier and launcher system for Roland and Patriot weapons. It does look very military. It even is, even yeah. in this form, it does. Now, with the addition of all those speakers, and by the way, all of those speakers are functional. So this yes. thing really was operating, and it, it does operate. Um, and he's really playing the guitar on top of this thing during the film. It's It's incredible how... Uh, what level they went to to make this realistic. I mean, they could have made those non-functional, and that would have been super easy for them. Yeah. But and, uh, but they went the extra length to make it functional, make mm-hmm. it everything work. I love that. Yes, and I hate to say that we have to we have to draw it to a little bit of a close. All right, so just quickly, without going over this whole thing again, um, do you have a favorite vehicle out, out of all the vehicles that you saw, or is it tough to choose? 
I absolutely do have a favorite vehicle. Okay. If I if I had to choose one, I have one I would choose. Okay, which one is that? I would choose the Interceptor. The Interceptor, okay. Have to. Because, really? Yeah, because the Interceptor is the original one. It's a car for a loner. And uh, no offense to my girlfriend if she's listening, but, you know, like in a <laughs> post-apocalyptic world, I see myself as, you know, like a not like a cult leader or something, but a nomad, like a Mad Max. We didn't even talk sure. about the motorcycles. No, I, trust me, I totally understand the uh, last man on earth fantasy. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I, I understand. You, I really do. And it offends my wife every time I mention it. And I don't mean it that way, but but it, but that's the way it comes off, I guess. All right. So my choice, um, without seeing the film yet, yeah. just by what I've read, what I've seen in photos and, and on you know these trailers. And it might change when you see the film. Yeah. Giga Horse. Giga Horse, really? Yeah, yeah. I like the uh, the dual Cadillac design. That is so it's cool. So and trippy. the idea with the uh, you know the twin supercharged V8s side by side, twelve hundred horsepower. Yeah, how can you go wrong with that? You're going for flash, well, my I, friend. Well, I'm a '59 Caddy fan to begin with. That's true. So you stack one on top of the other one, and come on, it's double good. Right? Yeah, it's de- how could you go wrong with a vehicle like that? So okay, Giga Horse is mine, but I'm going to watch the film soon, and yeah. we'll see if that changes because uh, who knows, maybe. I'll see something there that is more appealing. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Write in and let us know if you have seen Mad Max Fury Road. Now, keep in mind, this is a very violent movie. It's not for everyone, but just from a car guy perspective, you're going to dig what they've done here. Or if you're a big fan of of classic cars, you, you might be a little irritated by what they've done. But this is amazing. They put a lot of work into it. They spent years trying to find the right cars without computer chips or without um, they tried to find older cars that would sure. work well and would survive this kind of stuff we'd like to hear your thoughts you can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we're Car Stuff HSW you can drop by our website carstuffshow.com to see every podcast we've ever made and if you want to send us an email directly uh, just to say hey or with a topic that you think would be cool to cover we'd love to hear from you our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings for the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? 
Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.